And so we had all these people there, man, filling up the gym and uh, grandma was there and mom and dad and brothers and sisters. And uh, so I always had a meeting with the parents after that. And, uh, you know, what I always told them was we all have a role to play and we're trying to teach this to your, your child, but the coach is going to coach. The players are going to play and you need to support both of us. Welcome to the Never Stop Getting Better podcast powered by Guardian Caps. Guardian Caps are a one-size-fits-all helmet cover that help reduce impact for your players during practice. Coach Perry is a huge proponent of Guardian Caps after using them at Pearl High School, and it was one of the first football items he purchased when taking the job at Knicks. Caps are mandated by the NFL for O-line, D-line, linebackers, tight ends, and running backs, and utilized by over 270 colleges, over 3,000 high schools, and over 600 youth programs across the country. As helmets become more and more expensive, the Guardian Caps also do a great job of protecting your helmet investment. See the link in our show notes for more information on Guardian Caps. In each episode, John takes you on a journey of growth, learning, and endless improvement. Whether you're an athlete, coach, or someone simply just striving to get better, this podcast is for you. Now, here's your host, John Perry. All right, welcome to the show this week. I have an outstanding guest, one of which you might think I'm lying when I introduce him, okay? But his his name is Joe Lombard, and I want you to listen to this uh, career record. He is the greatest ladies high school basketball coach in America, and I feel pretty confident about saying that. Listen to these numbers. He won 1,379 basketball games and lost 133. That's over a 91% winning percentage over 42 years. Then he won 19 state championships at Nazareth High School and Canyon High School, both in West Texas. Um, Also added seven cross-country state championships. I guess he was a little bored. That, That got to a total of 26, which is a UIL record for a number of state championships. He's in seven Hall of Fames including the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, and I I read this in your book, and I thought this was very fitting. I grew up a Bum Phillips fan, and Bum <laughs> Phillips is, is notorious for saying he can take hisin and beat yoursin, and he can take yoursin and beat hisin. And I'm about 100% sure that he, I don't know if he knew you or not, but he made that quote about you because I'm going to say you could win with yours or you could win with the other teams probably. Thank you so much for being here, man. Thank you for joining us. I'm truly blessed and I can't wait to, you know, start this conversation. Thank you, John. Yeah, thanks for all you do for uh, people that watch the, listen to the podcast and, and uh, man, for you to do stuff like this in the middle of the football season is truly remarkable. And uh, so hopefully it's a good listen for everybody that's out there. And uh, uh, I've become an old man, so I've learned a few things, but I'm still learning like you, Coach. I'm still trying to get better. So uh, well, there's better answers probably out there somewhere else. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate you joining joining us. And, you know, I'm excited to dig in. Um, I read your book, More Than a Coach. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but I was in the mastermind group with Randy Jackson that you spoke to um, maybe two years ago, which was outstanding. Um, So what I wanted to do, man, is with this podcast, I love trying to add value to humans, not just coaches, but, you know, people that work in business, people that 
you know, raise kids. I mean, families and just try to add value. So that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to tell you where I want to start, you know, growing up in Indiana. Um, and I think this, you know, reading your book, I think the good Lord has been with you, you know, for most of your life, you know, like you've had a lot of things that happen for you that you didn't really choose, you know, like you didn't choose to grow up in Indiana, you know, that's where your parents chose to, you know, grow you up, you know, tell me, tell me about growing up in Indiana, you know, like what did that do for you? You know, how did that um, help mold you a little bit into what, into who you are? Yeah. Well, back then, John, so I'm 70 years old. So uh, I was born in 53. So I would say in the sixties, <laughs> Uh, back then you played a lot of sandlot ball. And so nothing was organized. You met at the park, you played football, basketball, baseball. I guess baseball was organized back then, but no football, no basketball. And, uh, and so that shaped me as far as, uh, my love of sports. And, and, uh, so the Fort Wayne was a town of about 200,000. And uh, we had 10 high schools uh, when I competed. We had 10 high schools in our uh, district. And uh, so uh, great competition. Of course, it's a basketball state. I hate to tell you that, but but there was a uh, – <laughs> hey, there was a private school in Fort Wayne. It was Fort Wayne uh, Bishop Dwinger. And they wore the gold helmets, and they were mini Notre Dame football and so they were a powerhouse in our in our city. But uh, uh, I played all sports growing up. But once I got to high school, I uh, I uh, played basketball and uh, ran cross country and track just as I was pretty decent at it. I didn't really like that that much. Uh, I wanted to be a, a – I love baseball, but we didn't have it in high school until my senior year. That's another little story. But uh, basketball, I fell in love with basketball. I went to Fort Wayne Northside. They made this, the Boy State Tournament back in uh, about 1966. It seemed like every game was on TV back then. Hilliard Gates, who did a lot of that announcing in the Hoosiers movie, was our sports guy, was our broadcaster in Fort Wayne. And so uh, we, I saw a lot of games, on, and I just fell in love with the game in about the sixth grade. Graduated in 71. And uh, so I had parents that uh, thankfully brought me up through the church. Uh, went to a local church there. The, our school was about uh, two miles away. And believe it or not, John, I, I walked that a lot of times. Sure. You know, back in the day, uh, never had a car in high school. And, uh, but, uh, as I look back, you know, as a kid, you don't always see it. But as I look back, like you said, all that stuff kind of molded me. And everywhere I've been, I've run into people that have had a big influence on my life. So I'm grateful for that. And uh, but uh, I uh, I ran on a state cross country team, uh, sophomore in high school. We were in back then it was all one classification in Indiana. So. The Hoosier story is all true. Sure. And so uh, our boys basketball team in 1970, I was the only junior that started on the team. We had 
four seniors and three of them were division one players. Wow. And we were ranked as high as number two in the state of Indiana, which is a, that's a heck of a basketball state. As I, right. as I mentioned, uh, our home games were at our high school where we seated about 2,500. Everyone was sold out. If you had a big rival game, you played the Coliseum in front of about 10,000. And that's not even a playoff game. That's just a regular season game. So Hoosier hysteria was a real thing. Now, later on, way back, way later, they went to classifications. So, and I've been gone since the day that, uh, so I don't really know if there's still that uh, same feel for stuff as there was back in the, and, you know, cl- multi-classifications is great. Sure. But, man, the story of Hoosiers and uh, the history that I grew up with, there's some amazing stories and amazing tournaments, am- amazing games. And uh, uh, so our high school was uh, three grades. Of, I'm trying to think we were about 2,700 students. Wow. But, uh I in in our in the state of Indiana, you didn't have an athletic period like we have in Texas. Texas, we have an athletic period, so sure. everybody takes PE. And I thought I'd tell you this that uh, in that PE class, I was a star. Yeah, you took it your sophomore year, so all the football guys are in there, all the basketball guys, everybody intermingled. The head football coach is the PE teacher, and so man, he saw I I was playing, I was trying to impress. And he said, Joe, won't you come out and be our quarterback? <laughs> and I said, uh, no, <laughs> I, I'm probably, I'm afraid of getting hit. I probably wouldn't <laughs> think that you wouldn't like me out there, but uh, I did love, I love, I still love watching football. Sure. I love watching the college game. And I've been to every one of our high local high school games. And sure. uh, so I love that atmosphere, that Friday night atmosphere. Let me and, ask you this, Joe. Yeah. How does how does a state like Indiana how does it become a basketball state? I don't. I guess all those longtime traditions, like the Hoosiers thing that happened back in the early fifties, right? Uh, you know, been a lot of uh, stories like that, and uh, and it seemed like back then people followed you from gym to gym watching play. We we would have people watching us practice all the time. Wow. So it really was before my time, but I'm grateful I lived in an era where I got to see uh, the Bob Cousy's, the Wilt Chamberlain's, the Oscar Robertson's. I got to see guys like that as well as now Michael Jordan and then LeBron and all those. So, man, I can give you my opinion on all that kind sure. of stuff but I'm grateful I got to witness that. Uh, one of the things I remember from growing up in Indiana was my dad was a railroader, John. So every summer he took us to a, I love the White Sox. We were about three hours from Chicago. My brother loved the Yankees. So he takes us on a train ride to uh, Chicago, watch White Sox Yankees. And right. 1961, the the record in uh, all of sports was the home run record by Babe Ruth, and so that was being chased by Mantle and Maris from the New York Yankees, and uh, we got to go watch them play, and saw both of them hit a home run that day, and that summer day when we were in Chicago, both one both of them hit one out, 
and it was like a 12 to 11 game. And uh, so I still was right there, you know, as far as some great memories that you get to sure. experience. Let me ask you this. What, what kind of, you know, growing up with your mom and dad, what type of behavior skills, you know, like what did you learn from them? You know, like what, what types of, you know, as far as the type of person, because, you know, to be honest with you, until you get to be 12, 13, 14 years old, your identity is whatever they preach into you, you know? And then yeah. as you grow up, you have a choice to choose to be more like them or more like somebody else. Like what type yeah. of, you know, yeah. human were you? Well, my, uh, back then the, uh, my dad worked on the railroad. So he was home for two days and gone for two days. Mom didn't work until I got into high school. So the mother was really running the family and sure. she was strict. She was off a farm in Ohio and man, if she told me to be home at 12 o'clock, it better not be 12 or one or she 12 or one or she was waiting. Right. And uh, so very, and probably that was, uh, probably that was very good. It kept me out of trouble because my dad wasn't home a lot. And, uh, and so my mom was really organized, a hard worker, uh, always waiting on us all the time. Or, uh, the organization was just incredible. And so, uh, so I learned from her how to be organized and uh, probably how to be tough. My dad was the kind of an athlete guy, uh, very social later that uh, he became kind of an alcoholic. And so uh, what I was glad to see, and that was a common thing back then. Everybody sure. smoked and drank and, uh, you know, that was Hollywood and that was major league baseball. And sure. uh, so, uh, but uh, my dad, I was grateful that he uh, came to know the Lord. He, he uh, got out of the alcoholism thing and really became a great guy. And uh, so he, but he loved my favorite memory with my dad was playing catch. And so out of all the things playing catch and I, and I tell that to young people nowadays, uh, just playing catch, man. And you might strike up a conversation. You might not, but my dad playing catch with me, I, it made me feel like uh, I was the most important guy in the world. And so, uh, you know, obviously that shaped me with my own kids. And uh, uh, so, uh, but very strict. And, uh, uh, you know, as far as coaching thing, John, back then, that was a day of Woody Hayes and football, Bo Schimbeckler, Bobby Knight and basketball. And coaching was tough. Right. You know, uh, it, uh Frank Cush at Arizona State. Do you ever know the story of him grabbing face masks and shaking the kids? And uh, I mean, it it was tough, man. It was my way or the highway. And uh, well, let me and, ask you this: because there was one guy out there that was doing it different, and I halfway like reading your book, I feel like there was some influences on your life, and that is probably the greatest coach of all sports of all times and that's one john wooden you know like yeah. did you yeah. follow him did you yeah learn from him like what was that influence yeah well in fact <laughs> i didn't like the yankees growing up i did not like the green bay packers uh did not uh uh 
like UCLA basketball growing up. And it was later when I I fell in love with the John Wooden story and his success. And so over on my, I'm in my office, but over on a bookshelf, I've got about 10 John Wooden's wooden books. And uh, he was an amazing man. And if there's somebody I wanted to be like, it was like John Wooden because as I grew older and got more and more into coaching and into family and that kind of thing, into church, man, that's who I wanted to be like was John. I wanted to be that kind of an influence on my athletes. And uh, so make each day your masterpiece. You know, that was <laughs> that was uh, one of the things I, that's still on my board today, my old board today that my son has up, up there. And, uh you know, just uh, all the wisdom that he had, and uh, he uh, he loved God. He 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 was, uh, you know, you just admire. Uh, you know, he was voted the greatest coach of the 20th century, and so that gets you respect right off the bat. Well, and, and, uh, and he was doing that in a time where you know so many people were doing it the exact opposite way. You know, like they were. You know, yeah. really hard. They were really tough. I mean, Woody Hayes is tackling folks running down the sideline. You know <laughs> like, and he is opposite. You know, John Wooden was completely opposite of that. Yeah. You know? Like you, I, I'm in my library and I have a shit <laughs> that is all John Wooden books because yeah. I don't um, know that anybody ever did it better than him. You know, no. I loved the, the Seth Davis book, which uh, was kind of the last book written on him. It went through every season he ever coached and the encouraging thing as another coach was every year crap happened, stuff happened, bad stuff you had to deal yeah. with. And uh, so people, uh, when I when I went to write my book, I, I wanted to make sure that stood out as one of the reasons that why I wrote the book. It was not all just, you know, great things happening day in and day out. There was the daily grind that you had to take care of. And so that was so important that, uh, and so when I, that inspired me when I read that with, uh, with John Wooden. Hey, I want to tell you a quick story, <laughs> coach. Yes. Uh, and back in that day in this, uh, uh, I believe this was in that book, that last book that, uh, you know, he had a famous player named Lou Alcindor that became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and uh, maybe the greatest player other than Michael Jordan and led the NBA in all-time score. He was a phenomenal high school player. I saw some clips on him. And so he came to UCLA, the greatest player in the history of the game. And uh, so John Wooden is very strict. They, they have a pregame meal. And at the pregame meal, you dress up, you wear your sport coat, and you sit down, you have milk, steak, baked potato, green beans every time. And you better be on time. So the way I understand this, Lou Alcindor back then, the first team uh, meal he went to, he was five or ten minutes late, had a T-shirt on, and wanted a Coke to drink, not milk. So my question to the viewers is, in that day and time, 
how did John Wooden react? What what did he end up doing? Did you ever read that story? I have not heard that story. You know how he responded? I do not. Okay. Well, he changed his rules. Wow. <laughs> he adapted. Wow. And so I would have never guessed that. And people can't believe that he did that. Maybe that's why he was such a great coach. Sure. Maybe, you know, the what you wore to church or what you wore that pregame was not that big a deal. And, you know, a kid had a Coke, maybe it wasn't that big a deal. And uh, you'd like to be in a T-shirt, yeah. maybe it wasn't, you know, we're trying to teach him all these things, but uh, that's a story that stood out for me. That I was going to, I was going to guess because uh, one of my favorite stories is the Bill Walton story. Yes. Up got your hair. hair. Yeah. Yeah. And he tells him, you know, well, you know, it's been nice having you on the team. Wear facial hair, and yeah. he cuts his facial hair. So I was gonna, I was gonna guess that he convinced him to do it. But I'm gonna say, too. I'm gonna say that me. that's yes. probably one of the things that made him so great. You know, was yeah. that he did and those teams, those teams, and that he was, they were unbelievably good. Yes, no doubt. He had the best players, no doubt. They were well old machine man. They were for sure. Watch. All right, let me ask you this. I'm on, I'm gonna kind of like your book, the way your book's written at the end of each chapter, there's a yeah, what they're called, but there's like points to so I'm gonna interject in between before we jump into your college experience, which again, I think is <laughs> extremely unique in your story, you know. Um, what what advice would you give to parents? You know, like parents that you know, like what what is the role of a parent in high school athletics? Yeah. Well, I have a lot of things to say and I'll try to keep them brief. But, you know, one thing we always told the parents early, we always had a, a preseason meeting where you meet the parents. And for us, it was a call. We called it open house because we had our seventh grade demonstrator, eighth grade demonstrator, ninth grade demonstrator, JV demonstrator. Our varsity did a, oh, about a 15 minute scrimmage. And so we had all these people there, man, filling up the gym and uh, grandma was there and mom and dad and brothers and sisters. And uh, so I always had a meeting with the parents after that. And, uh, you know, what I always told them was we all have a role to play and we're trying to teach this to your, your child, but the coach is going to coach. The players are going to play and you need to support both of us. And as a parent, uh, you have the maybe the toughest job, but your job is to support the coach and and uh, and support your child and pull your child and let your let your child learn all these lifetime lifelong lessons this year as they go through the program because there's going to be lots of things that they get frustrated with, they're going to be happy with people they're going to meet, things they're going to hear, and then habits that are going to be installed hopefully by the coaches and uh it's going to be sometimes it's a roller coaster but it's going to be for the good of their development as a young person so uh so anyway i told them that john and i had a uh, every year i came upon this spot with a friend but there's a thing called the uh 10 commandments of being a basketball parent it could be a football parent it yeah. could be anything and so those 10 commands, I just said, hey, parents, I recommend you just put those on your refrigerator door and 
if you ever feel a little frustration, read those things because those are meant for you to read and those are really good. And uh, as a parent myself, uh, I would read those myself. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's, I think being a parent is really hard. You know, I think it's hard to it is. watch your kid, you know, when they're not necessarily getting what they want, you know, or it's not turning out the way that the kid wants it. And it's hard as a parent, you know, I think that's really, yeah. it's really tough, you know, and that's a, yeah. Know, and a couple of things there, I, you know, I said 95% of my parents were good. Sure. I mean, they're awesome. 5% were unhappy because their child didn't get the play and quite live up to their parents' expectations probably. And uh, so, but you know, that thing that uh, I put this in the book, I think, but, there was a survey, was, this was in the Dallas Morning News years ago, and a parent had a choice to, if you had the choice of your child being all-state or make or being a state champion, what would you pick? Or all-district and do, like sure. 99% of them pick all-state or all-district. They didn't pick the team thing. Sure. Pick the individual accolade. I get it. I understand that. But uh, so the parent needs to understand, man, these are most of us are coaching team sports. And so we're trying to get everything to fit just right. Yeah. And that, so that's what coaches need to understand we're dealing with. And so find ways to win them over. And uh, but I, I always thought, you know, some coaches, I, you know, hate their parents and they hate, you know, this and that. And I say be courteous to them. When you can, shake their hands, say hello. Uh, I got in trouble one time a little bit. I had one of them was a golfing buddy of mine, and so we played a lot of golf together in the summer. And That upset one of those uh, parents of another kid on the team, yeah. so I quit playing golf with him, and he was a great guy, a great yeah. friend. And so uh, don't – so probably don't do me too many social things with other parents because – some are going to think you have some time. They have an advantage. They have a foot in the door. Sure. Um, well, I, you know, reading through your uh, story, you know, it's interesting. You When you start out at uh, Nazareth, you win six out of seven state championships, and then you move on to Canyon, and you don't win one in the first, I don't know, six years. And I think it's chapter one. That starts yeah. off in the book. I think he was trying to get me fired. Like, <laughs> you know, like you've won six state championships. Yeah. You get there and you've been there. And now, you know, you hadn't won a state championship in the first six years, but you were going 32 and two, you know, like you were still winning a bunch of games, but yeah. you had a parent that was upset. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Their kid wasn't getting what they was wanting. Yeah. They had, uh, he, uh, he, Sparked such a commotion, he handpicked a couple administrators to go meet with the team. I wasn't allowed to be in there. So I felt a little bit like Hoosiers, you know, where they're getting ready to fire the coach. Yep. <laughs> I uh, I can't remember if I was in my office or if I went home and uh, got a phone call later. I guess I went home during that athletic period. And uh, there was uh, one – well, there were some girls that spoke up against me but gave some really weird. Sure. Basically he was working us too hard and, you know, we're it's, this is September and why are we practicing so hard in September? <laughs> in right. the athletic group? 
And, uh, but then there's some kids that start to speak up, man. He's just trying to make you better. He's just trying to help you become the best you can become. And so it was cool to see that some kids actually did kind of get it. And, uh, but I wasn't perfect, John. I, you know, I, I could have done things better. And I, you, you learn along the way and you make mistakes along the way. So coaches don't think it has to be perfect. I was a little bit of a perfectionist. And those six years, we didn't win a state title. You know, we moved up. But in, you know, in, in Texas, Class A, if you have a great team, it's a little easier to dominate. Uh, but when you get into the higher classification, that's, there's a, so many good players and programs, as you know. And uh, so we were between a four and five A most of the time. And playing against Division One players and great coaches, and it was hard to win it. And uh, we we worked our I worked my butt off, and uh, and I went through frustration, and I went through a lot of uh, things there before I kind of started to get it. And uh, and I think because I was so wrapped up into winning, I think I, that pressure spilled over my players a little bit. And I think they could probably could have performed at a little better, higher level with a little more confidence if sure. I would uh, not uh, beat them down quite so bad. And uh, so, you know, <laughs> I look back and how could, you know, but is there something about your brain doesn't develop until you get to be 30 or 40? No doubt about or it. Or what is it? <laughs> I think mine's still developing. <laughs> All right, let me ask you this, because I think this is another God thing. When you graduate high school, you go to Wayland Baptist, okay? And yeah. you don't know anything about Wayland Baptist. Like, <laughs> you actually think it's on the Gulf of Mexico, so you, know, <laughs> you wasn't big on the maps back then. But yeah. you go to Wayland Baptist, and that's your introduction to girls basketball, right? It's 1971 before yeah. you have seen a girls basketball game. We didn't have it yet. And it, it came later in Indiana, but we didn't have it when I was there. So I never saw a game. And what I thought was unique was, you know, like describe the difference in how the ladies traveled to ball games and the men traveled <laughs> to ball games. Well, at Wayland, they were called the Wayland Flying Queens. And so they had a big time sponsor that flew them to every game in private, their little private airplanes. And uh, where the men, <laughs> we were called the Wayland Pioneers, and we had this old beat-up bus called the Blue Goose. And uh, we rode to our ball games in the Blue Goose. <laughs> and uh, it was way different things here. And uh <laughs> Now, back then, there weren't that many women really playing on that level. And so uh, they had a rich banker in town that was also, I think, in the real estate, oil, and he, I mean, and they did a great service for that college, the Hutchersons. They did a unbelievable. And, uh, and those they were the, the flying queens, and John, they warmed up the four games. They did a whole Harlem Globetrotter right. routine to warm up with. It was I couldn't do any of those tricks, man. That right. they did, and uh, no, it wasn't the boys. I mean, like they, they were the biggest show in town. They were, no doubt about it. And uh, so did, I never did you find that weird. Yeah, do what? Did you find that weird? I did. Find, it was yeah. I was the center of attention in high school, man. We were the kings of the school, man. I tell you, the 
boys basketball team. I mean, they came to watch us and, uh, and we got there. <laughs> we worked out when they let us work out. And, uh, uh, but I ran into some great people. Every place I went, my faith got, my faith got challenged and grew. And I ran into some great people. And there was a guy named uh, Dean Weiss that was the women's coach at that time. And he helped me with my shot. I mean, I was shooting up back behind my head because I didn't want to get blocked by those seven footers, you know? Yeah. So he got me to get it more in front of my face. And, and I, man, I fell in love with, uh, he did a great job coaching and he was one of my many mentors that I had through the years, but uh, we had bad teams in the men's one time, you know, we might've went close 500. That was it, John. So I had, I had some bad experiences. I, I look back at, it, I had a very intelligent coach, but, Every week we changed offenses, sure. and you know, it's just hard to ever get our never worked on defense. And so, I, I learned some things that you shouldn't do in coaching. Uh, but at the same time, I had no idea I was going to coach at this time, sure. I was going to go into uh making money. Yeah, I was going to say, you 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 met your wife there, right? Yeah. Babs. Babs. And Y'all get married and you go to work selling athletic goods, right? You go to yeah. work oh, yeah. uh, Cleveland Athletics. Yeah, I love it. The basketball coach. So you spend yeah. three years selling athletics and then you decide, you know, that you're going to give up the big money and you're going to jump into the <laughs> smaller pool of money of high school football. And, you know, what I thought was really, really cool was, you know, that you and your wife actually played against each other and what I would love to know is, you know, like you won the game, but you <laughs> stalled in the second half. Was there really a doghouse in the front yard when you got home? Oh, that's a true story. And uh, there's a picture in the book. But, uh, yeah, it was my first year to coach. And uh, oh, it was right there at the end of her career because we we started our family pretty shortly after that. But, yeah, the both of us were – we're good teams. In fact, we both end up winning state titles that year. Wow. I was in class A and she was in class 2A, I think, of what it was. But we did play in the Crest Tournament. <laughs> they put us on the same side of the bracket, so we played in the semifinal game. And, uh, oh, talking about nervous, our kids, they, neither team could play a lick. Tight, tight. And we won 33-32. to 32 And uh, she, my wife still gets after me today for holding the ball and stalling, you know, and, uh, where's the shot clock, you know, when you need it. Hey, and, uh, what's your thoughts <laughs> on the shot clock? Well, John, I was never for it because the best team was going to win if you had a shot clock, best athletes, best team. There's so many more possessions when there's a shot clock. So I was for the, guy that wasn't as good, I want to give them a chance. Sure. And so right now I'm 50-50. I, I see the value of having the shot clock, but I also feel for the little guy that may not have a chance. And I, you know, but the, what makes me uh, maybe enjoy the shot clock is for me as a coach, I would have to learn a new strategy and how to play, play with that thing and get the type of shots we want sure. to get. So sure. I would have to challenge myself and, and study the game 
in a different way. And so I, I like that thing. I was, that's one thing that, I, you know, John, that maybe you got from the book. I was always a lifetime learner of trying to study and get better and get better. And uh, like, just like you. And so uh, that was a passion that the good Lord gave me. And I think that had something to do with the success that I was fortunate to have is I just, I studied the game and, and uh, inside and out and talk to successful people, watch other people work out and came up with a philosophy. And, uh, and then I changed, you know, we, we, my downfall could be, I tried to do too many things. And so, as you know, as a football coach, if you're trying to run spread offense and all of a sudden you put in the wishbone or something, I mean, it's, sure. you're, you, you know, it's hard to do that while well, I was a little bit like my college coach. I was trying, I was tempted to get in and do that kind of stuff because I liked what watching all those college people run. I love watching sure. college games and what they could do. But uh, how thankfully, much in, in, the, in 42 years, you know, like how much did you change? Like if, if, because I struggle with this now, like I am a lifelong learner and I am studying and I, and I'm always trying to find, the next, you know, thing, the next thing that'll give us an advantage over everybody else, you know, and every, I mean, everything changes, right? The world changes, people change. Like I know change has to happen. How much, you know, did you change and how much did you not change? Well, I stayed on top of everything. And uh, in the spring, when I'd have the kids in like a spring training, I, uh, I ran some of that other stuff that just was bothering me on my mind. Sure. But we because we didn't have a game the next day. So that helped me with that. But the, here's the thing that I think coaches need to know is even though that stuff that USC football runs looks awesome, and uh can you win with that on the high school level? That's what you gotta, I mean, that's what you gotta ask yourself. Sure. Maybe some people that you collaborate with. Can you win with that? And also, can I teach that? Well, it gives us a chance to win. So I get to experience that a lot. But, you know, the bottom line is you got to let your kids do the best, what they can do on the high school level. And so, uh, you know, uh, you have to simplify as much as you can. And, you know, in this, you know, of course, my mind's going a different direction, John, but one, one little tip that I would give, like when you go get ready for the playoffs, I, as a basketball coach, I threw out some things that weren't working. So we simplified. We might put in one new thing, a new inbounds play or something, but we threw out stuff and simplified, cut the workouts, shorter workouts, and got good with less stuff. Less is more. And so there's a truth to that. And what it did was it kind of freed up our players' minds where they could just kind of react out there. You know, if you're playing football on uh, or playing defense on football, they got to have a, they got to be freed up a little bit. They can't just be, you know, trying to think what I do on this defense or this defense and this thing. They've got to be freed up to be at their best. And so uh, you got to find ways to help them. When you get to those important games, you've got to make sure they're not overthinking sure. just playing. How did your, you know, like your offense from year one to year 42? 
You know, how was, <laughs> okay. it, how was it the same and how was it different? And like defense, you know, like, yeah. yeah, was it the same? Like, and you just got better or did you, you know, was there somewhere in there where you had to flip and run a different type of defense because you yeah. had different type of players? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, the first half of my career, we were very post-oriented on offense. And that's what everybody was doing. You're posting up people running the high-low game. And uh, and I do different things to tweak it and do this or that. Uh, but we were very much like that. Maybe the first 30 years, even out of my 42-year career, maybe the first 30 years I was – and then I'd sprinkle in a little four-out, one in, and because uh, I really kind of liked some things out of that. And, but I worked on different, I mean, I tried different things, like sure. I said, in the spring. And, uh, but uh, I, the uh, the one year we did not win the state title when I was at Nashville, those seven years, we got beat by a great team. But also, I put in Bobby Knight's motion offense that year. I went to Bloomington, I went to his clinic, I got all that stuff. And hey, John, this happened to me. I, I, I couldn't teach it as well as Bobby Knight did. And that stuff looked great where you read screens and you curl and you flare and all those things are hard to guard. I just couldn't get high school kids to really know it as well as what I knew it. And of course, not as well as what Indiana ran it. So that was the year we got beat. Wow. Uh, so that was a lesson. A sure lesson. <laughs> but as I went along then, John, later on, and I, my last fourth of my career, we ran a lot of motion offense, five out, four out, and then we got into dribble drive stuff. And uh, there was one year where we ran a lot of set plays and won with that because I didn't think we were good enough to – I thought I had to orchestrate everything for the players that we had. So with defense, we were basically man-to-man defense all the way through my career. Some years we full-court press man and drop back to half-court. In many years, we just half-court man. But I always had a plan B. I always had a zone defense uh, that we would use in case we just couldn't stop people in our number one defense. Uh, I, I think you have to have a plan B to go to. If, if I just can't – if I can't stop that – that veer option that they're running, I've got to have something that, where I make an adjustment during the game. And that's the neat thing about basketball. You can play it so many different ways. And so uh, I always had a plan B. I love so, that. Uh, anyway, I hope that answered your question. Yeah, it did I, tremendously. A lot of teams, a lot of people thought I didn't change, but I did change. And, and, uh, and as we talk about that, I just want to mention that the last 20 years of my career, I, I mean, I always thought I had the right things, uh, but I really – right things were the most important things, but I made sure the last 20 years it was the players first, went in was second. The players are first, went in was second because, you know, you know that Billy Graham quote, yep. uh, you know, and, of course, Billy Graham was – he was – unbelievable speaker and Christian influence on a bunch of us old guys. I was a kid back then, but where he says coaches can influence more people in one year than most people do in a lifetime. Yep. And so, who I finally, it finally sunk in 
And I wanted to make sure I was influencing them in the right way and uh, leading the right way that the good Lord would be proud of the way I was leading. I don't think it's going to matter how many games I win <laughs> at the, when I'm, when I'm uh, got dead and gone, but I think I'm going to be commended hopefully on relationships and just doing it the right way. And uh, so, the, but here's the thing, and hopefully this came out in the book that even though I kind of changed that, we got better. We didn't get any worse as a team as far as winning. I think we even got better. And I know I took that pressure off the players. And uh, now I was I was very demanding. I was uh, very uh, businesslike. I was very sound with what we did, fundamentally sound. People thought, my gosh, we'd go play in these big national tournaments to we played in three or four of those Nike were Nike National Invitational things, you know, and they'd call us Hoosiers, man, because we were <laughs> we were a little slow and, and not very impressive warming up, but we wouldn't beat ourselves. We would uh, execute and uh, be sound, you know, and uh, uh, and so uh, that's why I wanted my teams to be well prepared. You can overdo it. You can overcoach it. So I had to learn that as well. Don't give more credit to the other team than what they deserve. No doubt. We'd spend half our workout talking about the other team, and that that got us in trouble. Don't do that. Sure. So I started putting five minutes on the clock. We meet basically have two workouts a day there, and that's in the athletic period. I go five minutes. So this is what Leveland does. After school, five minutes, this is their inbounds place. That's it. The rest of it is about us. Well, you know, that's one of the – John Wooden talks about that. Yeah, John Wooden says he never worried about the opponent. It was about him, you know. Yeah. Oh. that amazing. That's right. That's true. It's not about – I mean, you. I think you have to scout. You got to know what they do. Bill Belichick, take away one thing, you know, take away that thing they do best. So you got to do that, but it's about us. I mean, we got to make sure we're doing our thing good. Sure. Look, well, let me ask you this. What do you think about this quote? I heard this. I heard this quote this week, and I just like thought, man, this is awesome. Players win games, and coaches win players. I like it. You know, like that. That's our number one job. And I, you know, I'd give anything if I could have started out at twenty-two years old and won the players because I didn't. Like I started out thinking it was all about football. And it's been football, football, yeah. football. And, oh, yeah. Man, I've seen kids that now that I coached 25 years ago, and I apologize. I'm like, gosh. <laughs> I, I mean, I, did, I just didn't know, you know? Like, I didn't. Oh, you know, no. Not an excuse, but I didn't. But, uh, all right, let me ask hey, you this. Hey, something along that line, John, that I didn't learn at the beginning till much later on is if you want to get them the best from your players, they have to know that you care. No doubt. So, especially with the female athlete, but I think with everybody. And uh, and so, like I said, the old days, man, we didn't want to let them know that we cared. We just wanted to kind of beat them up and no toughen them up. And now, oh, uh, that's changed. And they got to know if you want the best, if you're, if you're, uh, work uh, in a major corporation, if you want the best out of your employees, you got to show that you care about them. And, uh, and so 
then you get their best and they can take ownership and things. And I tell you, when I felt when I could empower my players, some ownership, like little things like, Hey girls, well, Hey, what do you think about post defense here? Here's what we can do, or we could do this. What do you think? And man, they would give me an answer and I would, uh, I love it. And it, it took the stress off me. They, we got to do it kind of way they thought was best. And it really didn't matter, probably. Yeah. I was stressing over it. And uh, it was a great relief to uh, share that with the players and gave them a little ownership, which I think they really appreciated. Yeah. And, uh, but it helped me in my coaching. I'm going to say Bobby Knight wasn't doing a whole lot of that. <laughs> That's not. All right, let well, me ask you this question. <laughs> what about I think I think the biggest and most important decision that we make in our life is to accept Christ. The next most important decision is our spouse. What about the role of your spouse yeah. for success? You know, like what, you know, talk about that. Because without her, this don't happen. Yeah, she just walked in here and I told her to go out, but she just walked in here because I, I'm so grateful. I, my, uh, the, the good Lord, you know, people can debate whether somebody that he's got, God's got for you or not. I, I felt like he did with me. And, uh, she, uh, the neat thing for mine is for my marriage is she loved athletics as much as I did. And, uh, so, she loved riding the bus to the games. And if I didn't, if she didn't ride the bus and we had two little kids, maybe she drove the car, but she was there every time. And she loved it. Now, if I had a, been married to a wife that had, didn't like it that much, then uh, that's tough, man. That, that's tough. And so she, uh, she's been awesome, man. I, I, you may be in the book read where we'd come home after a game and, I, I wanted to grade the film so I didn't have to do it the next day. So she stayed up with me grading the film. And uh, my gosh, she was, you know, uh, she was awesome. So, so yeah, that she, she was right there. With, and of course she was a teacher and she was a coach first, but then she was just a teacher after she got in coaching, we started our family, but uh, we shared common things. I mean, it was uh I, I wouldn't have, as I look back, I wouldn't have done it any differently, John. I mean, everything just uh, fell into place like I didn't know it was supposed to happen. And uh, so I'm so grateful that uh, it did. And uh, But your spouse, uh, you, you have to surround yourself with people that make you better. And uh, she makes me better, <laughs> way better, better than I deserve. All right. this I got to ask. I got to ask some some legitimate questions. We uh -oh. have a basketball coach at Nixa High School we just hired. Her name is Jenny Talbert. She was just named the Missouri High School Basketball Coach of the Year for winning awesome. the state championship last year. Awesome. I, I, te I texted her today and I said, man, give me some give me some questions for the greatest high school basketball <laughs> in the world. All right, yeah. so I want to shoot a couple of these. Okay. Um, what set the state championship teams apart from the teams that didn't win a state championship other than talent besides talent. Yeah. No, not much, uh, leadership, but not much. 
uh, you know, uh, all, our goal every year is to win a state title. And so <clears throat> I don't know if it should have been like that, but it just happened to be like that throughout my career. And so uh, every year we were trying to win a state title and, and we got close. I mean, and, uh, and, uh, but some of those years we just weren't quite good enough. And, and one thing I, uh, one thing that comes to my mind, John, was whenever we got beat, say we, uh, we didn't handle the pressure of the, uh, the other team's pressure defense, man to man defense. Well, I was going to dang sure make sure that wasn't why we got beat the next year. So we would work on that in the offseason and uh, getting ready for the next year's team. So I always learned whenever we got beat, I always learned. Sure. And, uh, it, it was always a one-year journey. And then I took a week off, and then I was ready to go again. And so uh, – uh, but that uh, – that journey, that's what, that was what it was about. The championship was great, but it was the journey, <laughs> the process that just made it all worthwhile. And uh, and so with coaches, I hope everybody wins a state title, but if they don't, I knew a lot of great coaches that I thought were better than I was that didn't win. They did great jobs. with, And so don't just judge it only on the winning part of it. You know, make sure that. Uh, you understand you're doing so much for that program, for that community and, and uh, your family, you know, J you know, John, I want to make sure I get this And My philosophy has been, I don't help. You've heard this before, but it was always God first, family, second career, third coaching, third, they all intertwine. But if I didn't have that in order, things would not have been good. It, in fact, I would have had a much shorter career, I'm sure. And so those uh, – and I'm still working on that stuff, man. I'm still trying to get better at my relationship with Christ. and and uh, Did you have trouble with that? Do what? Did you have trouble with that? Was it, was it you know, when you were younger, was that more complicated? Yeah, I uh, – yeah. Uh, I, I always felt God was pursuing me. But I was running away and this or that. And, you know, a lot who you hang with make does have an influence on you. So uh, so when I got to uh, – I had some good influences. I mean, I was a good kid in high school. But, uh, you know, you still are a kid. And, and uh, so when I got to college, could have been a, a little different deal. But I felt like God was talking to me even stronger. When I got to Nazareth, hey, that's a German Catholic culture. Right. I felt like I got even stronger in my faith. And since I've been in Canyon, been pretty involved with our church. And uh oh, right now, John, I'm uh I'm in a couple of different Bible studies, but I do lead the coaches outreach Bible study at our old high school. So I get to visit with football coaches quite a bit. And uh, so some things there that I couldn't do or wouldn't, I would have never done things like that when I was younger. Sure. And uh, so it's amazing how things can change. But back to the spouse, that's right up there below God. That's a huge thing. And uh, I I hit a home run while I married Babs. Well, and I knew 
that you had to because if if you had not of you would have not as you would not have been as successful or you would have been divorced. It would not have, <laughs> there wouldn't have been no in between. All right, next question. What were some of the non-negotiables for your players? Yeah. Well, they're going to play hard all the time. And uh, they're going to play as a team. We emphasize pass the ball to the open player. Uh, the perfect possession is everybody touches the ball. Mm. And so not only does that make everybody feel a little bit more a part of things, but the team game to me was fun to watch. And the art and skill of passing, it can be overlooked. I really enjoyed watching, coaching that part of the game. And Okay, so another non-negotiable is defense and rebounding. I mean, uh, we got we got to be – and I, I felt I was pretty good at coaching defense. And uh, uh, so uh, that was an emphasis every day in practice. Fundamentals, fundamentals was huge for me. And uh, we worked on those every day. We worked on those. The, if I worked out the day of the state tournament, John, we worked. There's some little fundamental thing we'd be working on. It might have been feeding the post or Blocking out like this, that other team's got a great rebounder. We've got a blocker out, you know, much like you do in football. Teams that are fundamentally sound. And I don't know much about football, but, man, I can tell when teams are well coached when I watch them play. And it doesn't look like they have much talent, but, man, those guys play better than you would think. Sure. And so uh, I enjoy I enjoy that. And uh, – Something so, uh, I interviewed Sherry Cole not long ago, Hall of Fame yeah. coach in Oklahoma. And got to know her, yeah. Something I took from her was they wanted to play basketball in such a manner that when the folks left the, left the gymnasium, they said to themselves, I want to be a better person because <laughs> of the way they played. And yeah. man, I, I, to, to my team, I have, you know, started saying that's how I want I want us to play so hard and be so well coached and be so, you know, with sportsmanship and so that when people leave, they do think, man, that's awesome. You know, win, lose, or draw. Because you've been to games when the team that lost actually won. You know, they won the crowd. You know, they might have been the underdog, but the way they played yeah. or the way they carried themselves and the body you know, language, you know, the body language of the players and and the rapport with the coach and the players and uh, how the coach acts on the sideline, I mean, has a big influence on people. So, about it. No yeah. Doubt about it. All right. So, Next question. And this is, this is one that, you know, I've always respected Nick Saban because I believe winning, you know, is tough. Continuing to win over and over and over, very few people do that. What was, you know, like what was some of the hardest challenges in staying as great as your teams were for so long? You know, uh, like I mentioned just a little while ago, every, every year was a one-year journey for me. I was going to give it everything I had for that team. I mean, everything went into that team. But when that season ended, 
it was gone. And so it was getting ready for the next team. And the good Lord gave me a passion that helped me prepare like that. And uh, so, you know, was that, uh, was it Raymond Berry, the great receiver of the Baltimore Colts way yeah. back in the fifties? Was it Raymond Berry or who was that receiver? I believe that was him. That wasn't the most talented, studly wide receiver, but his gift from the Lord was study. I think is what he said. If sure. I remember that correctly, that hit me. I think, I think that's something because I'm not the smartest guy mm. and I'm not the, uh, I'm not the perfect coach. I mean, I, that's, I didn't know I even wanted to coach until I was 24 years old, I guess. Right. So, you know, these, we all have gifts and talents. So use whatever you have, use that to help you in your, in life. And you don't, you don't have to try to be somebody that you're not. Sure. For a while, I tried to be Bobby Knight because I was young and I was, he was successful and he was really good, but it just wasn't me. And so, uh, so from a guy that's tried to be a couple of different other guys, trying to just, hey, just be yourself. Sure. Now you can better yourself. You can get better, but be yourself. Well, you know, I, I 100% get that. You know, one year in Pearl, Mississippi, we went 16 and 0 and won a state championship. And, was only the third team in the state to go 16 and 0. And I would, you know, when you when you get on a roll, you know, you start getting the reporters and you start and they would show up and they would ask these questions. Okay, I scored an 18 on the ACT, very marginal intelligence. So when I would tell them, like, you know, like I don't understand what you're talking about. Like all I can, like, we're just trying to be great today. You know, like I can't worry about next week because i'm not smart enough to think that far ahead you know what i'm saying yeah oh hey, yeah. there's hey, the real camp right there it's i feel like i know you from reading the book and i just oh. know that i feel like you are the true rock star i just want you to know thank you hey she just we had a kind of a big football game out of her stadium on thursday night she just brought in a score 56 to nothing Nice. Three, uh, number one team, say three, a team beat our four, a team here. Wow. Uh, well, I like, I like her shirt. It's game. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> it's nice to meet you. Thanks for doing this. He nice was really excited you. about it. Well, yeah. I've enjoyed reading the book and getting to know Joe and, and oh, good. I feel like I know you and I appreciate you. Well, we sure enjoyed doing the book. That's awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. And, and the good thing is now, you know, like since y'all are not competing, she won't lock the door on you. <laughs> That's right. She'll let well, me in the house. No doubt. Well, one of the questions that our basketball coach wanted me to ask you was, she was curious your thoughts on the shot clock. Um, yeah. You know, pro or con. And now where you sit, you can go either way. I could go either way. Yeah. Be, uh, because a, a team stalling the ball and holding the ball, fans don't really like that. Now, sometimes I can appreciate what that team's doing. That's pretty smart, I think. And still to this day, John, I would say if I had the ball at the end of the quarter, if there's 30 seconds, I'm going for the last shot. Sure. That's just, don't let them have the ball back, and you might score or you might not. But 
not everybody goes with that philosophy and, but yeah. that's still me. And, uh, and so, but I do know this, uh, most girls teams can't stall it for four minutes. It's going to, they're going to turn it over. Sure. So you have to be careful on that level. But I, I think the shot clock, I think it's more interesting for the fans. And I think the younger coaching generation, they didn't see quite, they didn't grow up with what I grew up with. And so we played, even in high school, we played a lot of low scoring games. And uh, so, uh, well, they, they see, we, we talked about this before we went on air. You know, my mom played for a man, Marvin Williams, in Raymer, Tennessee. And in her four years, they went 126 and seven with three people on each end of the court. Like, that's that's yeah. the way the game was played, you know? Like, yeah. now oh, we're yeah. talking about a shot clock. Does anybody have a shot clock? Are there any states that do that? Yes, they are. And, in fact, one year we played in California in a Nike National Invitational Christmas tournament, and we played with the shot clock. And uh, we had one violation. That was – I couldn't believe it. We played four games and one violation. So uh, it's not as big a thing as probably what some people would think, but you sure. definitely have to be trying to score when you have the ball. Sure. Uh, like I heard – I had a football coach today that I, uh, one of my guys, I was telling him about you and the story, and he said he saw a basketball game one time that the final score was three to two. Yeah. And I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, Joe. <laughs> I want to go see a three to two uh, game. You know what I'm saying? Like that would not be super. Hey, in, in the in the book, I don't know if you saw this, but one of our big rivals way back was Leveland, and we had a 22 to 20 game. They hit a shot at the buzzer, and John, the gym was there's over. It was at Wayland. There's over three thousand people jammed in, sitting eating style on the floor, and the game was unbelievable stressful every possession was like right life of death and uh i don't know if it's fun coach like that you know <laughs> you know uh zero zero football game where you win on penetrations you know like in the old day uh yeah i uh, you know what zero to zero or 48 49 either one is very stressful, you know. <laughs> you know, it, one little mistake in, in any yeah, way. cost you, cost the game. One mistake, and so the game. Oh, that's well, tough. We're getting we're getting short on time. I, I feel like I could talk to you all night long. Honestly, oh yeah, Jordan. it would make me a better human and a better coach. I want to ask <laughs> you a couple of short answer questions. Do you have a couple, you know, uh, favorite books or books that stood out to you that that made a difference? Hey, uh. Yeah, several. I mean, I, I I don't read as much as you, but I tried to read something. I, and I, one of the guys I read early was John Maxwell. Yeah. Before John Gordon. And John Maxwell, talent is never enough. And so that got me thinking. And so that was a book early on. Uh, the one I just finished reading was John Gordon, The One Truth. I've not read that one yet. Let me tell you. That opens up the mental thing. And so uh, I highly recommend it for people to read. Uh, it talks a lot about mental health, but also confidence for athletes, mental toughness. 
And uh, when you have these weird thoughts coming through your head, how you can, John Gordon gives you some ideas, some way you can defend against those things. Sure. And, uh, it's, it's a great book. It's, it's got some spiritual in it, but it's, it's for everybody. It'd be for kids. It, he writes, you know, in a way that's easy to read. No doubt. Our, our pastor, our church, did a one month sermon series based a little bit on that John Gordon book. <laughs> so anyway, Hey, I just finished reading or back in the early fall or late summer, uh, all black. Ooh, very good. <laughs> Sweep the sheds. Very so good. That was, a, that was a recent book that I read. That I. Do you ever see them on a video? Their pregame warm up thing. That's love pretty. It. I think you ought to do that in football, man. You might intimidate that other team. I I have a we have a kid on our team. We have the best, uh, most highly recruited sophomore offensive lineman in the country. Okay, he's six foot eight, three hundred pounds. So wow. if we could do what the All Blacks do <laughs> and put him in the front, we would win before it was over. <laughs> the game was over. <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. That is great. So uh, I, I like to read books like that that help me. And I, I really like them, uh, like John Gordon and Maxwell. But John Gordon does a lot of stuff with NFL teams right. and NBA teams, college teams. And then, of course, he attacks it from the Christian side of the things, right. too. And uh, so who better leadership thing than Jesus Christ? I mean, who's going to have better leadership things that I can learn from than Jesus? So uh, Gordon kind of brings you into that a little bit, too. And so, uh, uh, yeah, I, I haven't read Atomic uh, Habits. Yeah, I heard that's really good. Fantastic. You know, I need to get that, that book led me on a journey to start walking and lose about 80 pounds within the course of a year. Like, wow, it's really good. It's I, I listened to it and read it. And, you know, it teaches you how to create habits. Um, Really good. Was, was Hey, hey John, talking about walking uh, coach, John Gordon has done for 30 years. He calls it a grateful walk. I don't yep, know if you've heard right. that. And uh, I thought that was pretty cool where it gives you one of the first things in the morning, get up, do a short walk and be grateful about something. Well, when we or something else, you know, but sure. Well, when when me and my uh, with the Atomic Habits book and the the starting to walking, you know, like me and my wife started walking in the morning time. So we would hit the road at five o'clock. We'd walk till five thirty and then I would read from five thirty till the time I got ready to go to school. But Part of that walk was when we got back pretty close where we could see the house, we would hold hands and we would say a prayer. Either I would say it or she would say it. And we would go through everything that we're grateful for. And we would go through our entire prayer list of people that, you know, like needed, we needed to pray for, you know, and that was and is one of the favorite times of my day. When we start our day like that. You can't have a bad day when that's the that's way. Awesome, <laughs> no. Talk about it's waking fantastic. up on the on the good side of the bed, huh? Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> it is yeah. fantastic. All right, let me ask you this last question. Okay. What, what makes what makes you happy? What makes me happy? People. Uh, uh, I strong with our family. I have two kids and uh, four grandkids. 
So that's a joy to be around them all the time. And then uh, happiness is just being around other people and sharing things and enjoying living, living the life that that's simple, but yet uh, I think is filled with joy. Uh, uh, you know, you can say going to church and that kind of stuff, but, but really it's about people and, and uh, um, your interactions with people. Sure. Joe, yeah. I have asked that question to every guest I've had, and nobody yet has said my big house or my fancy car. <laughs> my, you know, like the answer is uh, you know, spending time yeah. with my family, spending time yeah. with my loved ones, spending time, you yeah. know, doing things like that. So, you know, that is uh, that's a way down the list. I still like studying the game, <laughs> watching hey. some of these guys. Curve, do you, you still know. do you yeah. still coach with your son or no? Yes, I. In fact, John, he's the head coach there yes. at Canyon. I go up every day. I'm the I'm a volunteer assistant. Wow! So blessed beyond measure. It's more for me than it is for my son Tate. Uh, I have a daughter Lindy that was a coach as well, and uh, but uh, I study things, and I can give him too many ideas. <laughs> Sure. But I don't have to worry about it because I don't have to make the decision whether to run the uh, spread offense or not. But uh, I think that I is still cool. love. I still love that. I still I like reading. I, I like uh, I like going to a movie. Yep. Uh, I like doing that. And uh, you know, Mission Impossible, man, that was my favorite movie this summer, yeah. probably. So That's I like awesome. doing that. But people, man, other people is what makes it go understand well joe man i absolutely am uh you know grateful that you was allowed me to do this um you've added value to my life and i will guarantee you you're going to add value to a lot of folks that listen to this so um, i'm super grateful maybe down the road we can do it again sometime because i'm telling you i'm sitting here Great. looking at a page full of questions that I didn't get to, but um, maybe I can get to that next time. Anytime. That'd be great. But I'm honored to share with you and the viewers. I mean, that's awesome. And I uh, hope everybody enjoyed the talk. And uh, uh, well, in, in this book, there's things, there was a little chapter called things I learned along the way that <laughs> I could add to that now. <laughs> well, what, what I would like to um, do is make sure, and I'll put this in, the show notes too. I will put a link to the book. Um, okay. I would like for everybody to buy the book, man, more than a coach. It is absolutely fantastic. It's super well-written. There's so much, like I enjoyed the, the stories about the oh, early life. It. That's it right there. More yeah. than a coach. Joe, I mean, it's absolutely awesome. You know, like, so we're going to, we're going to get some folks. I'll put that in a, uh, an actual link to it where they can get it in the show notes. Yeah, um, it's, you get it on Amazon at Amazon. All the all the proceeds go to a charity. It's a it was called the Tatum Foundation, and yep. and it's a great foundation. It was a little girl. It, dad was the boys basketball coach that passed away at age nine, and so they have a foundation. So we, all the money goes to that foundation. Help others. That is awesome. And and I knew that and I should have said that, you know, because oh, no, that's good. I'll tell you one thing I've always, as a person who reads a lot, when I hear that all the proceeds go to, I don't even hesitate. 
You know, like I don't even hesitate yeah. buying that book, whether whether I, you know, want to read it or not, just because yeah. I know the purpose behind the book was not a selfish desire or, you know, anything like that. A little that. motivator, actually. So I'm glad yeah. I got to do that that way. No so Well, I appreciate it, Joe. And I appreciate all of you that have been listening to the Never Stop Getting Better podcast, where our goal is to add value and to add ways that we can continue to get better every single day of our life. So until next time, adios amigos. Guardian caps are lightweight, one size fits all, football helmet covers for practice. They reduce 20 to 33% of the impact, depending on the speed and the location. Great for the repetitive sub-concussive blows that add up throughout the week. Also great for body blows used by Clemson, Penn State, Washington, Oklahoma, 150 other colleges, and about 2,000 high schools across the country. Also protect that helmet. If your helmets are getting beat up at the end of the year, Guardian Caps can help protect that helmet investment.